have your Bible, I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31 and verse 12. We'll look at some verses on either side of that, but this is the key verse of this whole passage. Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verse 12. Let's look at it together if we could. I would like to begin with verse 11. When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear, that they may learn, and fear the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words of this law, and that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land, whether you go over Jordan to possess it. Father, we pray now as we uh, spend these moments together, gathered around the Word of God, that your Holy Spirit might take this message and apply it to every heart. God, you've called us together this morning. God has called a meeting. And you're asking your people to listen and to learn and to live the Word of God. I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that somehow you would come into this frail body and this frail mind and give me the thoughts and the mind and, 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 yea, the Spirit of God today that would be able to take the words off of these pages and drive it deep into the core of every being that is here today. May we leave this place saying, God met with us this morning because He had called a meeting. In your precious name I pray, amen and amen. I just want to say this to you. God's always calling people to Himself. It's real interesting when you look in the Bible. Sometimes it's one person alone. He would meet people and he'd call them. Do you remember when God called Samuel? I love that story because it has to do with children. And I am convinced beyond anything else that children in this building today, God are going to call your heart. Nobody else really understood what was happening. And in fact, he, he would go in and, and he would hear God say, Samuel, Samuel. And, and finally the... The, the man of God said, listen, Samuel, God's trying to speak to your heart. Isn't that an exciting thing? That God Almighty is speaking to hearts, and God wants to speak to your heart this morning, just like a little child. He called Moses. In fact, he called him twice like he did with Samuel. He said, Moses, Moses. And all through the Bible, you have God calling individuals. Secondly, I want you to see that God calls groups of people together. I mean, he seemed to call... The, the nations together. He seemed to call the people together. But not just big, big groups. When you go to the New Testament, he called Peter, James, and John. He said, I want you three guys to go up on the mountain with me. And then he called several others. He liked to go to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he fellowshiped with them. Small groups of people. But every once in a while, in the Word of God, he said, I want you to get all of the people together because I want to speak to them. Gather together the people. In this passage of Scripture, it just hit my heart when I was thinking about this thing of teaming up and what God can do with the church if everybody will get involved and be what God wants them to be. Gather the people together, the men, the women, the children, and the strangers that's within that gate, that they may hear and that they may learn and that they may do all the words of this law. All of Israel, he says in, uh, in verse 11, I want all the people to come. Now, I don't want you to ever doubt in your mind. Now, I, I, let me say this as carefully as I know how. I don't want any of us to ever doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed Christians can change the world. 
And I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you think that our world needs to be changed for good? Yes or no? Does God pe- God's people need to be light and salt right now in our society? Do we need to make a difference? Yes or no? Let me ask you this. Can we make a difference? Yes. Are we more powerful together than we are separately? Isn't this what God's talking about here? Gather my people together. All of them. And I want you to look at this in just a moment. You got your bulletin out. I want you to fill it out. We're going to go through it very quickly today. So get your pen and your pencil and you can take this home and study a little more deeply in your own private time. But I want to share with you some things. First of all, I want us to look at the invitation to his special place. It says here that the place in verse 11, when all of Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. I've looked through the book of Deuteronomy. This is an interesting thing. In the book of Deuteronomy, 21 times, folks, it uses that little phrase in one book, the place that God shall choose. The place that God shall choose for you to get together. The place that God shall choose. 21 times in this book alone, God says, I want my people to gather in my place so we can talk about eternal things. An incredible, incredible insight into the Scripture that God wants to meet all of His people. You see, in the Old Testament, it was the temple. In the New Testament, it's the church. God wants His people to come together. The book of Hebrews says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Please don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And he, listen to this. He said, And so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many of you really believe this morning that the Lord is coming soon? Let me see him. If you have not been here on Sunday night, We only have one more session. I would challenge you with all the strength that's in my heart to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. It's called Countdown to Jerusalem. I've had some people come up to me and say, Pastor, you're scaring me. I'm not scaring you. I had one little girl say, Could you ask God to wait till I get married? I said, Well, I'll talk to her, you know. But, I, you know, God's timetable is incredible. But when you look in the Bible, Maydale and I have read a book called Epicenter. It is an incredible book. If you haven't read that book, you ought to read it. What's it saying to us? It's saying that God has been preparing for these thousands of years to return to this earth. And it looks like you and I may be the generation. Wouldn't that be something? When God will send His angel to sound the trumpet in the air, the dead in Christ shall rise first, the Bible says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. God said that His people ought to be getting together more carefully, more regularly, more on purpose as we see the day approaching than ever before in history. God is calling us to His special place. Now let's look at this place. Start writing these down. First of all, if you go into in verse, uh, in, in chapter 30, you find that his place is a place of discernment. Discernment. We find out that God does want to speak to us. If you look in, in chapter 30 and verse 8, and you have your Bible there, you'll see it says, And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord, and do all of his commandments which I command, me this, command thee this day. Now listen to this promise. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous 
in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of thy body, that's health, in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy land, that's our work, for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. And then he says in verse 10, If thou shalt hearken or listen unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, he said, I'll bless you beyond, beyond imagination. And then he explains this. This is what I saw there. Here's the place of discernment. Listen carefully. He said, for this commandment, what I want to say to you, what I've got to talk to you about this day is not hidden from you and it is not somewhere afar off. It is not in heaven that thou should say, who shall go up for us into heaven and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, would somebody go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it? Now listen to this. Listen with all of your heart. But the word is very nigh or close to you. It is in your mouth, it is in your heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before you this day good and evil. The word of God is as close as your ear. Isn't that amazing? He didn't say the word that I want to speak to you is up in heaven or across the sea or we got to go somewhere. He said, when my people gather together and the word of God is open, he said, the word of God is as close to you as your own heart. The word of God is as close to you as your own mind. The word of God is as close to you as your own mouth. I want to speak to you in my special place. And when we realize that when we walk through those doors and we sit in here and we sing and we worship and we praise God, that God in heaven is rejoicing in his heart. He said, I want to talk to my people. Isn't that exciting? That God wants to speak to us in a very personal and clear way. The second thing you find here is it's a place of decision. He said, I have set before you this day good and evil. Sometimes I go home and feel like I have been a sissy. Y'all know how, what I mean by that? I've been so nice. Everybody goes out of here and they say, well, that was real nice. That was a real nice message. Preacher, you are something else. I mean, you're just the kindest man I've ever seen. And God says to me, you are a big sissy. That's what you are. You know why? When we come here before we leave, I ought to put it, something before you. Here's good and here's evil. Isn't that what the Word of God does? God says, here's the right way, here's the wrong way. This will lead to happiness. This will lead to death. In fact, he said, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. And when we come to the house of God, we ought to go out of here saying, you know what, God? I want to do the right thing. I want to do the thing that you want me to do. God, I come to a fork in the road every week, and I have to make a choice. I am going to follow you. When you come into God's house, it's not only a place of discernment, it is a place of decision to decide in my heart I am going to live for God and I'm not going to let anything else stop me from doing that. The third thing is it's a place of encouragement. Man, I, this, this blessed my heart. 31, uh, chapter 31, he moves right into this. In chapter 3 through 9, first of all, he talks to the people. And he says, hey, when you go with me, and they were talking about going into the promised land, they had wandered around waiting for this great spiritual blessing. He said, when you go, when we go over there, I don't want you to be afraid, number one. Let's, let's just look at it. In verse 3, he says, the Lord thy God, he will go over before thee. 
He will, he will preempt you into that challenge that's before you. He will destroy those nations uh, from before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before thee as the Lord has said. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did with Zion and Og, kings of the Amorites. And when the Lord shall give them up before your face that ye may do unto them according to all that he commands, he said, verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he, is it, he it is that doeth, doth go but with thee. He, listen, he will not forsake thee, and he will not fail thee. Isn't that something? Well, yesterday, this last week, we had one of our teenage boys, 15-year-old boy, who had broken his back, broken his neck. And um, big husky guy, and he had been wrestling high school, uh, junior high and getting ready to go into high school ball. He had been playing football. And he, had a, he, he came into his mom the other day, and he said, Hey, Mom, he said, what happens when you do this? And, and she said, What do you mean, son? He said, well, What happens when you do that? She said, well, Nothing. He said, Mom, when I do that, my legs go numb. She said, what? And he said, I don't know what causes that. She said, let's go get it checked out. They went to one doctor, then they went to another, and they had an MRI. And they said, this boy's got a broken back. And they said, how could this have happened? They began to think back. And three years ago, he was in an automobile wreck. And they didn't catch it. And she said, his, the doctor said, his back has been broken, and he could have been paralyzed from his neck down. And said, he's been playing football and he's been wrestling. And the mom said, Pastor, only God could protect a boy like that. I want to tell you something, folks. These folks drive all the way from Fort Mill to come to our church. All the way from Fort Mill. And today they're up there praying for us. And you know what she said? We were up there. A bunch of us were up there. We were all over. Brother David was there. And I don't know who, several of us were there. I think Dan's been up there. And Bobby was there. for. Listen, this was a miracle of God. I got there at church at 6.30, and Bobby was already there, folks. Before 6 o'clock in the morning, Brother Bobby was at the hospital. Miracle of God. Okay. Woo! Things are happening in our church. I'm telling you, we're having revival. We all gathered around that boy, and he laid there, and he said, You know, hey, he, wasn't even, he didn't even seem to be afraid. I asked his mom, I said, is he nervous? She said, a little bit nervous. Is he afraid? No. Why? He knows that God, watch it, will not fail him, and he'll be with him. See, where do you get that? You don't get that by watching TV. You don't get that by reading the books of the Word. You get that by opening the Word of God and saying, God said, don't be afraid. Be strong. Be of good courage. Go on and do what you're supposed to do, and I will not fail you. No matter where you go. You see, it's a place of encouragement. It's also a place of appointment. I would say this to you who are, who are taking ministries. If you'll look at that place of encouragement, he not only spoke to the people, but he said the exact same words to the leaders. We've got people in our church who are stepping up. And some of them are stepping up and they're taking places of leadership. And I want to say something to you. God takes note when you step up. And when you step up and you say, you know what? I'm willing to use my time, my talents, my abilities. And I want to be something for God. And it's amazing to see what God will do. And he used the same thing. His, he said, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. I won't fail you. I will not let you down. You go ahead and take a step for me. He encouraged the leaders and he encouraged all the followers. He encouraged the people and all the leaders. And he'll do that. And then you see here that it's a place of appointment. 
It says, when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord. What would you say in your lifetime has been the most important appointment in your life? A few, right? Anybody here ever drafted into the military? Or signed up for the military? Anybody here been in the military? Let me see your hand. Did you show up late? No. James back there saying, whoa, no. After you'd been there five or ten minutes, did you decide, I think I'll just show up whenever I want to for the rest of my time of service? Right? No. You know, I've, 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 I've had a few weddings when the groom showed up late. Bad mistake. Bad mistake. No, there are some appointments that you would circle off and say, I will not miss that one. Appointments with people who are important to you and people who are important to your future. And God said, when I call a meeting in my house, that is an appointment that you ought to keep it is an important time in God's place on God's day with God's people around God's word the invitation to his special place now let's move to second thing that's taught here the inclusion of special people the more I thought about this the more I prayed about this the more I was blown away in fact I talked to Madel and I said look at what God is saying God is saying, gather the people together. First of all, the men of God. Secondly, the women of God. Go ahead and write these in. Thirdly, the children of God. And fourthly, the people in your world. He says right here, gather the people together, the men and women and children and the stranger or the people that are not a part of your family, but they are within your gates or within your world. Now write those down. Watch this. This just thrilled me. As it began to dawn, he said, gather the men together. Not some of the men. Not the tall, handsome men like me. <laughs> no. Not, not, all, not, not all of the intelligent men. Not all the good guys. Not even all the bad guys. Not the, not the ones who have shown themselves to be leaders. Not those who are scoundrels and... You're trying to drag them out of some trouble all the time. God wrapped his arms around. Hey, listen, guys, I want to tell you something. God wants to meet with every one of you today that's in this building, and I don't care what you've done, where you are, who you are, or anything about you. God said, call my men together. I want to talk to my men. And God wants to talk to you. Isn't that sweet? Folks, that's amazing. He said, you get the men together. Why? Because men face certain issues in their life. And men face certain issues that will impact their home, it'll impact their business, it'll impact their walk, it'll impact every part of their life. And we know, and we've studied, most of us have gone through this, this whole genre of, 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 of the issues that we face today as men. But let me give you one of them. God has called you men to give direction by example. And you know where the battle is? Watch it, guys. The battle for men is right here. It's called the battle of the mind. 
It's in our thought life. The battle for the mind. God said, I want all my men to show up. You say, well, preacher, man, you don't understand. I struggle with this. I do. I... That's why God wants you to show up. You say, but preacher, I'm one of those dreamers. Man, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. I'd like to be. That's why God wants you to show up. Call all of my men. Listen, to, you see what he says next? Call all of the women. The young, the old. It doesn't matter. Single, married, grandparents. It doesn't matter. Call all the women together. And what is there? Real challenge. When I talk to a couple, I'll say, Sir, and you, many of you have been to the weddings, and you know this is true. I'll talk right to that guy, and I'll say, Sir, I want to tell you something. God has called you to be the head of your home. He wants you to set a spiritual direction. You will set the direction, whether you know it or not. And then I'll look at that sweet lady, and that girl, and boy, she's so beautiful. And I said, And God has called you to be the heart of the home. And I'll tell you this. You cannot do without a head. And you cannot do without a heart. You cannot live. Right, folks? Have you ever seen anybody walking around without a head? I can testify you can't go very far without a heart. Do you know what happens when you get a, in, when you get a heart transplant? You know, they, they take your heart and they put you on that heart-lung machine. You know what they do? I mean, they set you aside. Did you know what the, nobody told me? That after being on a heart-lung machine and, and getting a new heart, it causes your body to retain fluid. Do y'all remember a, a character named Alley Oop? Remember what his feet looked like and his forearms? You remember it was like this? I mean, huge. Maydell will know. After I came out of surgery and they said, and I was feeling good, all of a sudden, my legs swelled up. They looked, they, they looked like concrete posts. About that big. Whoa, I couldn't even bend them. Whoa. I got scared. I said, y'all messed me up bad. I don't know what's going on, but my arms are like this and my legs are that big around. And she said, oh, didn't we tell you that happened? I think I lost 30 pounds in two day, two or three days, right? Now, I'd love to re be able to re redo that, but uh, I lost about 30 pounds of nothing but fluid. Why? Because my heart, had been in the wrong place for a little while, and I retained all kind of things in my body that I shouldn't have had. And let me tell you something, ladies. You're the heart of that home. You're, you're the heart of wherever you are. You're the thermostat on the wall. You walk in the door, and it's either cold or hot. <laughs> you walk in the door, and it's going to be a good day, or it's going to be a bad day. Because God has given you the ability. So God says, hey... All you men, I want to meet with you. All you ladies, I want to meet with you. The battle for men is in the mind. The battle for all of the women that God has is in the heart. Keeping my heart the way God wants it to be. And he said, I want to talk to all the kids. All the children grow up. Listen to this. We got a great bunch of teenagers, a great bunch of kids. I am so proud of our guys. We, we're, having to listen, we're having to take chairs for the last three Wednesday nights where our teenagers down at the shack... We've run out of chairs down there. We're having to take more down there. Isn't that something, folks? Let's give our kids a hand. Isn't that awesome? God bless you guys. I mean, they're on the move. Listen, listen, young people, what God said. He said, be thou an example 
of the believer. Whoa. So I thought, preacher, you're supposed to be the example. <clears throat> I am to my world. But to your world, you're supposed to be the example. That's what God said. Be an example of the believer. Children do what? Children obey your parents. You know where a teenager's, a young person, a child's battle is? Man's battle's in his mind. Woman's battle's in her heart. A child's battle is to obey. Some of y'all still children. Right? Come on. It's like a little girl I heard about. Her mama's had her sitting in the corner. And her little brother came along and said, hey, You're sitting in the corner because you was bad. She said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> yeah. Been there, hadn't we? The battle. And then God said, Now, all the people in your world, gather them too. Folks, man, that, that stirred me. 300,000 people live within 15 miles of our church. 300,000. And God said, you know what? Just about all of us are going to touch somebody. In other words, every one of us has a different world. I cannot penetrate your world, but you can. And God says, I want to include everybody in this thing. I want it to be important to you. Now, he said, here, look at the next statement. You got your Bible open? He said, now after we've gathered everybody together and I have everybody's attention, all the men, all the women, all the children, and all those who are guests among you. He said, because I have a message for every person. He says, here's what I want you to do. And he puts three things here, actually four. He says, I want you to, see what he says? I want you to hear what I have to say to you. Number two, I want you to learn what I'm talking about. Number three, I want you to begin to fear the Lord your God. And number four, I want you to observe to do these things. Here he talks about the instruction of God's special plan. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 12. I want you to hear. Have you ever had your mother scream in your ear, Do you hear me? Has anybody ever talked to you that way? Why is there a question? You're not deaf, right? Why are they saying, do you hear me? They're not talking about this, are they? It's not, it's not whether they hear the sound. They're saying, has what I've said to you penetrated beyond your ears and got in your brain? Do you hear me? You know the thing that lays on my heart like a burden so big I cannot get away from it? And I tell you this honestly. It's like a mountain on my soul that somehow people will come into God's house and they'll hear with their ear and they'll walk out the door and never hear it with their heart. God said, I want you to, I want you to come into my house so you can hear what I want to say. And he's talking personally. He's not, not talking generically. He said, I have something I want to say to you and I want you to come and I want you to hear it. And then I want you to understand what I'm saying to you. 
That is a process. That doesn't happen just like this. That doesn't mean every time you walk in the house of God, you say, whoo, I understood everything that preacher said. Or you open your Bible and you begin to read. This week we were in the hospital talking with one of the men in our church. And I think Brother Dan was there with me. And he was saying, you know, hey, Pastor, you know, something wonderful is happening in my life. This man's been in our church for years. I said, what's going on? He said, for the first time in my life when I opened the Bible, I am beginning to understand what the Word of God is saying. And I, and I began to listen to him. And almost in the same breath, he's saying, Man, I'm all stirred about, about prayer. I wish everybody in our church could be in a Wednesday night prayer time where we're talking about Brooklyn Tab, man, and, and that's, that's prayer study. has been out of sight. And he said, and I don't even know that in his brain he connected the two. You know what that man was saying? For the first time in my life, I've learned how to talk to God. And now that I'm talking to him, guess what? He's talking to me. That's big. First time in my life. I've heard it all these years, but I didn't understand it. And God is beginning to make it real in my heart so that when I walk out the door and listen, and when I go home and open my Bible, I'm beginning to see God is directing my life. That's a special moment in your life. It doesn't happen like this. It's something we pursue. It's something we want in our soul. You see, when there's a, you know the story of the sower in the New Testament. It says this, a man went out to sow the seed. In Matthew it says that those people who received it and they grew and it says they, they increased, they had fruit a hundredfold, some thirty, some sixty, some hundredfold. And he said those people were the ones, in Matthew he says, they hear and they understand. Mark tells the same story. Mark said, they hear it and they receive it. Luke has, tells the same story, but he says it a little different way. He says, they hear the word and they keep it. Isn't that interesting? He said, the people who hear it and understand it, the hear, people who hear it and receive it, the people who hear it and keep it are blessed beyond measure in their life and their fruit will increase 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Someone says, and whatsoever that kind of man shall do shall prosper. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We must hear God's word. We must learn what it means. I have something I keep in my Bible. Something God gave me a long time ago. It's right here. It's five keys to getting the most out of your Bible. This is not a part of my sermon. But number one, you need to find God. What's God doing? Anytime you open your Bible, find God. Find out what He's doing. What's the broad picture? What's the scenario? What's God trying to communicate? Number two, find Jesus. You find Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, folks. You find Jesus in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you'll look for Him, He's right there. Number three, find the work of God. What is God trying to accomplish in people's lives in that passage of Scripture. Number four, find the enemy. What's the devil doing to try to keep people from hearing and finding and doing what God wants them to do? In any passage. And number five, find yourself. How does what you see relate to you? How does this passage apply to you? 
What is God saying to you now? I keep this in the back of my Bible. I will look at it from time to time. Because that's the way we find out. You see, I think this world is waiting for people who really believe what they believe. When God says, I want my people to gather together, I think that's important. I showed this to Maydell this morning before we came. Last night in my study, and I, you know my pattern. I, I mean, I spend a lot of time, but Saturday nights, man, are, that's a battle zone for me. I get in my office and I pray and I ask God to give me something that will speak to people's heart. And I study and I look. And I was searching on the Internet about how, how important is God in our lives. How important. And, th- and I was Googling through a lot of different sites, and all of a sudden I saw it. This question came up. Questioning the importance of God. It was on a site by a man by the name of Austin Klein, and it was your guide to agnosticism and atheism. It was written from an atheistic point of view. For an atheist. And here's what he said, and I wrote it off. It said, the question of whether or not some kind of God exists is not one which should necessarily occupy the minds of atheists all the time. Theists, especially Christians, regularly challenge us with arguments and ideas which supposedly demonstrate that their God definitely exists. But prior to that, there is an even more important issue to to address. Is a God really important in our lives? Even, Christ, even children, listen to this. Even children can discern whether God is really important or not. They have the ability to place value on the things to which we give importance. Not automatically on the things we say are important. And so, a, a, a supposedly Christian man was driving his son to school one morning and asked him, Is God real? I think so, he answered. The dad said, well, is God important? And the boy answered, not really. And he said, son, why would you say that? Well, dad, he's not as important as homework or ball games or family trips or birthday parties or work or vacation or money or a whole bunch of other things. Yep, I would say God isn't very important at all. At least, he writes, we atheists are honest about what is important in our lives. Just how important is God? When I make a decision about doing the things in my life, is God important? God says, I won't give you instruction. I have a plan for you. But I cannot bring into your life what I want you to have as long as you're following another flag. As long as you've got... Boy, can, can you imagine a child saying that to a dad? Son, is God important? Not very much. How can you say that, boy? In essence, he was saying, because I've been watching you. Mom says, don't go to church tonight. You've got homework to do. So that means homework's more important than God. Are we going to church today? No, we're, going to, we're not going to church today because you've got a ball game to play, son. So ball games are more important than God. You see what this boy was saying? Isn't that amazing? Coming on an atheistic site, coming out of the mouth of atheists who challenge us. You say you have a God, but do you really believe in that God? And is that God important enough in your life to make a difference? And when I saw that last night, I said, oh God, help us to set our priorities not on other things, 
But to hear the voice of God, the men, the women, the children, everybody that comes. The fourth thing he talks about here is the impact of special participation. <laughs> he said, I want you to participate. It's time to step up. I wrote in my notes in the side, God is calling his church to show up to team up, to step up, to give up, to reach up in prayer, to build up each other, to grow up and be mature in our life. And one day, thank God, to go up to be with Him. Team up! That's what we're talking about. Let's make a difference for God. Let's do something for God. Is it important? I believe it is. Will it be important in eternity? Sure it will. Let me ask you this. Is it worth it? Yes or no? Come on, talk to me. You're not mad at me yet, are you? You may get mad at me before I get it. No, is it worth it? I'm honest. Is it worth it? This life is fairly short, right? Eternity is fairly long, okay? What I do for Christ is going to have eternal benefits. So is it worth it? Man, I say it is. And he says here, now, I want you to observe to do all the words of this book. I want to challenge you this morning with a thought that comes from Ed McManus, who is an unbelievable preacher. He has what's called a mosaic church out, out in California. He travels 200 miles every Sunday morning. He preaches to about 10 congregations from every kind. He'll go and one will be just guys who've come out of drugs and so forth. And he has a church there. And he'll be another and he'll be the top businessman in a certain area. And he'll have another one over here and another one over here. 200 miles he preaches. And he said in the leadership of our church, I'm not looking for old Christians. He said I'm looking for mature Christians. And I thought what's the difference? And he makes this statement. And the more I've thought about it, I read this book almost a year ago. And I've been, I've been cooking on this. He said, maturity in the Christian life is not like the mature tree out in the yard. That you accumulate maturity. It's not like maturity in your body where you, you, you have a child and then, then you have a man and, 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 and they grow in maturity and you know you can tell when the, when the, when the face hair starts turning gray and, and it starts coming out your ears and out your nose and away from your head. You know what I'm saying? It, it, that's, that's not necessarily maturity. He said maturity is measured by obeying God. He said sometimes the most immature Christians in the church are the ones who have been there for many years. They've gotten into a pattern, but they have lost their sensitivity to obey God. He said, I want to put people in the leadership of our church and they're growing like crazy. He said, who have a heart who's hot for God. They want, to, they want to seek God. They want to know God. They want to be a part of God. He said, in the spiritual world, maturity is measured by obedience. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that good? You know why? Watch it. Man, I love this. It puts every one of us on equal ground. Some people walk in this building and they say, well, I'd never be like that man over there. Man, he'd been a Christian for 25, 30, 40 years. I mean, he just walks like a Christian. He just, man, he, he's got that swagger. And when he talks, he has all these words. Oh, thou God who created. He said, I can't never do that. 
God says it's not how you swagger. It's how you serve. It's not the words that you've learned how to say. It's how deep is it in your heart to love God and to serve Him and to want to be what He wants you to be. And Paul said, I don't fear very much, but I fear three things. He said, I fear the shelf that somehow I will have preached to other people and I've taught other people and I've done everything everybody else should have told me to do. And then one day God has to set me on the shelf over here because I have left what God wanted me to be. As an old Christian, as a supposedly mature Christian, I have left what God wanted me to be. He said, I fear that more than anything. That I would become what he called shipwrecked. A worthy old vessel that no longer sails for God anymore. He says here, the power of participation. The impact of a right path. Write these down. The impact of a right plan. And the impact of the right power. He ends this verse by saying, Observe to do all the words of this law. And he said, If you will, the next verse says, And that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord. As long as you live in the land, you perpetuate this to your children and your children's children because you have followed God Almighty. Is this book powerful? Yes. Should I love it? Yes. Should I listen to it? Yes. Should I follow it? Yes. Listen to these verses. Out of one chapter, Psalm 119. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Strengthen me, thou, Lord, strengthen thou me, Lord, according to thy word. Give me strength. This is my comfort in my affliction. Psalm 119, verse 50. Verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Psalm 119, 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endure forever. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word, listen to me, above thy name. The power to live for God is encased in the living word of God. Live by it. Love it. And when we don't, we're living by our own standards. In a moment, we're going to bow our heads. I don't want anybody moving. I don't want greeters moving. I don't want anybody moving. I want you to sit where you are and think about yourself. I'll let you go in just a moment. But right now, as we come to the close of this service, I want to ask you, are you ready for a blessing? Are you ready to say, God, I want to follow you? I want you in my life. You know why? Because God has called a meeting for his people.
And he wants to meet with you and me. And that 